basically uh, letters that Paul wrote to uh, Timothy, who was his protege, was one of his pastor, young, young uh, pastors that he was mentoring and loving on. And also another one of the other ones was Titus. And uh, the order of these goes first Timothy and then Paul wrote first Timothy, then he wrote Titus, then he wrote second Timothy and First uh, Timothy was written about 64 A.D. and uh, and I love these these are pri- uh, prison uh, letters that Paul wrote in prison, which is which is amazing to me. And he makes the best of his time. He could have been uh, had pity on himself and cried himself in a corner, but no, he's he's sending encouragement and he's still preaching the gospel from prison. How many know that you can still encourage people and and speak? love even from a dark place that you're walking through and uh, so uh, we got to look at Paul's life and say man it's amazing to me that in prison he's still exhorting he's still edifying he's still encouraging and writing letters to young ministers and I I tell you what that just gets me that gets my heart pumping I love it so uh, the the theme of first Timothy is based on Christian leadership but mainly geared for for pastors, but it's edifying for all. So there's there's some themes in in First and Second Timothy. There's some church structural things and and some things like that. And uh, so we're gonna look at those. How many know that the Bible? Uh, we need all of it. We don't just get to pick and choose short certain portions that, but we need it all. It's all good stuff. And uh, and so uh, we're gonna look at that. the The book can be broken down into five overarching themes if you want to do it that way. Um, the first chapter deals with the church and its message. Um, and so that's kind of the theme that's there. Uh, chapters two and three, which I was going to try to do two chapters tonight, but I think I'm going to try to couple these next week. Chapters two and three, they deal with church members. Yeah, be here next week for that one. Um, and then, uh, don't worry, I don't get out of this. Uh, then chapter four, it deals with the church and its ministers. So there's there's one for me as well. Uh, uh, chapter five, church and its ministry to itself. How many know that um, as a church, we, we are to be outwardly focused, but we also are ministering one to another in here. And so what that means in chapter six deals with the church and its ministry to the world. So that's kind of an overarching um, theme if you want to break down First uh, Timothy that way. So we'll get going here and hopefully I can cruise through this pretty fast. Uh, it starts with just a typical greeting, what Paul always does. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope. Um, an apostle is one that is sent out or one who speaks the truth, someone that, that's ahead a little bit of head, and Paul says he's an apostle not by his choice but by the will of God, uh, by the call of God on his life. And he says that in 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 1. He says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says it in Ephesians chapter 1. He says it in Colossians chapter 1. And he says it's not just by, uh, by just God's will, but it's a command on my life. I have to do this. This is the call that God has put on my life, and so I... I love that uh, about Paul. Verse 2 says this, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. I I just, I love that fatherly, spiritual fatherhood right there. Um, Just looking at Timothy. I I can relate to Timothy because we have the same first name. That's my name. That's my name is Timothy. You guys call me TJ, but I can relate to Timothy. I've always felt like 
like Timothy in some ways. And, and even in my life right now, having been pastoring here very long, there are some spiritual fathers that I look up to that I can talk to and can lean on. And so in a lot of ways, not just in my name, but also in the position that I am in my life right now, I feel like I, I'm, I'm Timothy. Literally, that's that's kind of what I feel like. Literally, I mean, I am, but um, good job. You found out who you are, your identity was, TJ. Good job. Um, but piecing the, the puzzle together here that we look at the different pieces, it seems that Paul stayed at, at Timothy's house, not necessarily Timothy's house, but his his mother and grandmother's house on his first missionary journey. And Timothy would have been uh, young, probably a teenager around that time. And uh, we don't know this, but uh, I've heard and read that Timothy was very frail and, you know, kind of kind of skinny and not very, uh, was kind of shy in some ways, kind of the opposite of me. I'm not very frail. I'm bigger and I'm an extrovert. So I guess there's where me and Timothy go the different directions. But um but it most likely, Paul, when he was staying with them, led Timothy to the Lord. Or, and we definitely know this, that Paul influenced him to minister the gospel. And I, I believe that. And Timothy's dad was a Gentile, and his mother and his grandmother were Christ-believing uh, Jews. They had turned to know Christ. Lois and Eunice. Sounds like some, some, some nice ladies right there. Lois and Eunice. And the grandmother, uh, Eunice was the grandmother of Timothy. And if you go to Second Timothy, I love that where it talks about, um, Paul talks about them a little bit and laying on the hands and stirring up the gift that God had given him. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, verse 3 says this, grace and mercy and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul often starts uh, his letters with grace and peace. You'll never know the peace of God till you know what? The grace of God. You've heard me say it a hundred times. Uh, he most often ends with those two. He always starts with grace and peace, and he always usually ends. There's a few books where he doesn't. But interestingly, here and in Titus, he adds one thing to grace and peace in this greeting. It's a little bit different. He adds mercy. And I find this interesting um, it's really easy to overlook. It's really easy to just fly by that and just read that extremely fast. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. That mercy in the middle of that, and why would he add that in there? I think there's, I think my, what I believe, okay, this is TJ stepping, this is where I believe that he would add mercy in there. He is not speaking um, necessarily from a pastoral point of view as he is a spiritual father. And knowing that, hey, this is a young minister, and you're, you need God's grace, and you're also going to need mercy at times. And so I think he, he adds a little bit of, of love in there just here a little bit. Um, the writer Mark Batterson, anybody ever read any of Mark Batterson's books? He's a great writer. Um, he said this, mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. I, and I love that statement. And I think Paul is a spiritual father here. Timothy and also Titus, he said he's got a little bit of a soft, soft place in his heart for these guys. And, and I love that. And so he's given them a little bit of extra encouragement. And so if you need a subheading here, you can, you can look at this index in, in uh, verse 3 starting here. It's a warning against false teachers, which you hear Paul talk about a lot. Usually he's writing a letter after he's been somewhere 
and then these people come behind him and they're telling him, well, you got to act like a Jew. You got to do things like a Jew. Jesus does say, but then you got to follow all the festivals and the rules. And, and Paul is just trying to stop a lot of that. But here, um, he just kind of hits some stuff just straight on the head. Hey, just so you know, uh, I'm going to give you a warning against false teachers. Verse 3 says this, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any uh, different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now, that's a little bit of scripture, but there's a lot of content in that little bit of scripture there. Um, so basically from here, from this, from verse 4 to 19, Paul's going to deal with four areas relating to doctrine, um, and he's helping the young Timothy here. He's instilling some things in here. Number one, the first thing that he's going to deal with is this, this uh, false teachers. He's, he's talking about the loss of the truth. Uh, how many know that the truth is the truth, whether it agrees with you or it doesn't agree with you, the truth is the truth, right? Your truth, your truth is not based on your feelings, but the truth is the truth. And, and so there's some, um, we have to be careful in our, in our walk with God that when we lose the, the truth of God's word, we're on dangerous ground. We're on very shaky ground. So here's the next one is this. He talks about the law of God and uh, talks basically about the Ten Commandments and some things within the law of God. Another one is this, the love of Christ. I don't like talking about the law, but I sure do love to talk about the love of Christ, right? But he, he's just going down this list. And then the last thing that he's going to talk to uh, Timothy about is the life of faith. So, so here, just right off the get-go, we see the loss of truth, um, leaving a young Timothy to continue preaching in Ephesus. Um, and remember, he's in Turkey. Ephesus is in Turkey. Modern Turkey is where we would say that is. And and uh, and Paul's on in Macedonia, which is in Greece, and so they're in two different places. And so, and Paul charges Timothy to not let the Ephesians get caught up in any doctrine other than the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a there's a lot of things. I got a phone call this week from a gentleman, and um, a, a, a crazy encouraging phone call, and uh, just. You know, we can get caught up in our, in our um, denominations, which I think sometimes we do. We can get caught up in uh, a certain ways. And, and a lot of us, and I talked a little bit about this on Sunday, rather than wanting to walk in unity with other believers in Christ and other uh, people from different denominations, we got to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus Christ. The truth is the truth. Jesus Christ, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we cannot major on things um, that don't really matter. Styles, not important, okay? Not important. But you know what does matter is that we believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, was virgin born, lived on this earth, died on the cross for our sins, was put in a grave, raised from the dead, and is coming back again. That is the message. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's important that we believe that and we stand on that. So uh, I like what Paul, he's, he's just charging him, hey, 
be, uh, you know, focus on the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, here's the thing. As we learn the word, um, we share with others. And here's the thing, and I want you to hear my heart. There's a tendency and a real danger in trying to find something in Scripture that no one else has ever, ever seen before. There, there just like sometimes you just read the scripture and you think, well, I've got to get this little bit of a nugget out of here or we'll read a scripture and we'll try to twist it to the context of what we believe. That's very, very, very dangerous to do. And, um, and so it's very important that we we don't do that. And so Paul's just given Timothy some some really sound doctrine here. Hey, keep the main thing. The main things. one of my favorite things to say. And so. Here's the deal. Some of the teachers at Ephesus were doing this, and they were looking at the genealogies in the Old Testament, and they were discussing endlessly and veered off into all sorts of vain speculations. Listen, when I read the Word of God, I cannot read it with through the lens of my speculation. I have to read it through the truth of God's Word and who He is. And there's a few things, a litmus test that I have to understand when I, what is the context of the Scripture I'm reading, right? Where is it at? And, you know, I, I, I often do this, you know, you can look in the scripture and it says, you know, I mean, you probably heard this, you know, you, it says Judas uh, hanged himself. And then there's another scripture that says, go likewise and do the same. So context does matter, right? And so you, you've got to look at it through the right lens. And um, so these teachers, they're, they're looking at vain genealogies and just... Uh, going down weird roads, and in doing so, they missed out on some very solid teaching they could have easily done. Um, and let me just say this. If, if you want to be a Bible teacher, that's great. Um, but I'm going to give you some advice, just some sound advice that I've learned and that uh, some mentors have, have poured into me. Number one is this. Um, don't try to be the most creative and innovative person ever because, listen, um, n there's nothing new under the sun. Bottom line, um, uh, you know, if you think that you're the first person to get a revelation out of the word of God, probably not true. Someone else has probably had that revelation somewhere along the way. Um, and the other thing is this, instead of, instead, instead of trying to be, you know, like take these corners or this or that, instead stick to the simple, powerful truth of the gospel and here's the thing, when we do that, you'll never be wrong. It's, it's, it's simple. It really is simple. That's, that's some great, man, if you want to be a Bible teacher, you write that down. You keep that in your heart. And it goes back to what I said, keep the main thing, the main thing. Um, and I'll give you a little bit more pastoral counsel. You're like, well, Joel, you're just, you're just giving all kinds of counsel tonight. Well, I'm just in that place right now. I don't know. Um, I will say this, and I listen, you, you need to hear my heart here. Not every Bible study is good for your soul. Okay? You say, ooh, why in the world would you say that? I'm not saying that the Bible is not good for your soul. I'm just saying not every Bible study is good for your soul. Here's the thing about oftentimes people want to teach because they have a desire to teach and they want a platform to teach rather than come from a shepherd's heart. You know what my goal is as a pastor is not just to teach you, 
but to shepherd you, to love you along, to guide you. And, and so we have to be really, really careful. Not everything is always good. You know, I can tell you I, in my short time in ministry serving, I've, I've seen some people who have gotten involved in some groups and followed some things, and they go weird way off into left, left field at times. And, and so you have to be careful. It's important who is teaching you, okay? Hear me out. Do you hear, you hear what I'm saying? I'm saying this in very much pastoral love. I'm not saying it's wrong to do Bible studies. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you need to be careful and discerning uh, to who is speaking to you because not everybody has a shepherd's heart, okay? And um, uh, it, it's important. Some are just trying to get a platform rather than genuinely care about your soul. That's a, I know that's a very pointed statement, and I'm, I know I'm coming out swinging tonight. So just, you just love me through it, I'll, I'll love you through it. How about that? So my counsel is this, be wise and discerning. Be wise and discerning. Be wise and discerning. Verse 5 says this, the aim of our charge is love that, uh, that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and sincere faith. So here Paul speaks of the law of God. And after speaking of the law of truth. So it's simply fulfilled uh, fully in love and faith. So the law of God is simply fulfilled in love and faith. Everyone say love and faith. So the, the purpose of Paul's command to Timothy is to promote love within the church. Number one, we got we to gotta speak the truth. And we have to promote love in the church. That's, that's very important. Hear my heart out. So um, it says this in verse 6, certain persons, everyone say certain persons, by swerving from these have wandered away, uh, wandered away into vain discussions. I talked about this. Not every Bible study is, is good because certain persons will swerve away from the truth and they'll want to have a vain uh, discussion about something. You know, one of the things that irritates me sometimes is, uh, is people that are kind of know-it-alls and they, they want to just throw everything they know about the word of God out at moments and they want they want to tell you all these things listen if 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 they know the word of God they know that it says this that we we have to do it in love number one and that's important so it says this desiring to be teachers of the law okay verse 7 desiring to be teachers of the law here's the here's the key without understanding either uh, what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. That's why it's important to know who is teaching you because um, certain people, and maybe they don't intentionally do it, but they may make assertions or they may have this belief system because their grandma told them to believe this way instead of not knowing exactly what the word of God says and finding it out for themselves, all right? So verse 6 says, uh, uh, it says this, um, oh, I'm sorry, James 3, 1, it says this. And listen, I don't want to discourage anyone from being a Bible teacher. It's important, but listen, this is what the James says about it. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know what? I'm accountable for everything I say right here on Sunday and every moment. And there isn't a moment in my life that I don't, that sometimes I just go, man, I, I pray that that was communicated in the right way, in the right love. And I, I mean, that's something that I take 
very, very, very serious in my life. And here's the thing. If God calls you to teach, good. Run with it. I mean, run with it. That's great. You, you do it, but you understand what that call has uh, attached to it. Um, and it should be not be a driving desire in any man or woman because here's the thing. With greater responsibility comes greater potential for condemnation should a teacher sway from the simplicity of the word. And that's one of the main things that I, I strive to do, keep the main thing the main thing. Got to be balanced in what I do, how I live, uh, how I approach things. So verse 8 says this. Now we know that the law is good. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, I didn't know that the law was good. <laughs> Paul says that. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Um, and here's the thing. There, uh, there's a movement right now uh, amongst a lot of young, younger believers, I should say, and, and probably many older ones, I don't know, that, that they, they want to do away with the law. They want to just get rid of the law. That's, you know, we cannot, if it's not here in the New Testament, we can't look at the Old Testament. Well, that's, that's not true because Paul says right there that the law is what? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you why the law is good, why we need the law. Here, here's the important thing. And so there's a lot of believers um, who believe that the law is, is um, you know, that it, it's not important. We have to let it go. Away. And many are falling away to this camps. But look at this. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 19. He said this. Do not think that I have come to what? Abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to do away with the law. That's what he's saying. I didn't come to abolish them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, fulfill them for in verse 18 says this for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away uh, not an iota not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished all right that, that Jesus is saying he's swinging big right there verse 19 therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called what the least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So why is the law good? This is this is important. In Galatians, Paul would say it like this. He says the law is like a schoolmaster. Your kids just started. Whose kids all started school this week? All right. Um, my kids started school this week. I know some started last week. But the law is like a schoolmaster. And all the kids, if they were in here, they'd say amen to that, right? It's like a schoolmaster. It's like a school teacher. And, and here's what happens. Uh, it, it is a teacher that shows us that we need a Savior. The law is there because when I put my life up against the Ten Commandments and I try to show that I am perfect, there is no way that I will ever meet that criteria. And that shows me that I have need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. If you're with me, say, I'm with you, Pastor. All right. All right. So, uh, and the function of the law is, is to make sinners aware of their sinful nature. That is, the, that is what the, the law of the Old Testament, that is what it does. It points to you. 
And, you know, if you were to look and put your life up against the Ten Commandments, there isn't any of us in here who could stand and say, I have not done this, 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 because we've all fallen. We've all broken commandments at times. Romans 3.20 says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes what? The knowledge of sin. So when I look at the law, when I look at the Ten Commandments, I know I am a sinner. And that's important. So look at this, verse 9. He goes on a little bit further here. Uh, Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinner, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexual and moral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Everyone goes, whew, that's a big list. Verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of, of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. So this is interesting here. Paul does something here. He, he, he's telling us what the law does. He's showing us what the law is. And he almost parallels the Ten Commandments right here. He does a pretty good job of it. It's, it's really, really close. And, he, and how many know the Ten Commandments? The first four deal with what? My relationship with the Lord. There are four commandments that I can do against God. What do the next six deal with? My relationship with others, how I treat others. And so that is it. So I, I like to make that statement, and I know I've made this statement here. Hey, that makes a nice, pretty cross, and that's what Jesus died on, and that helps us, okay, to remember that. So, um, and this list, it parallels, um, it parallels almost the Ten Commandments. So, um, you know, and I can break these down. Uh, I'm going to break them down just a little bit. I'm going to jump in here. Uh, those who use profanity or the Lord's name in vain or or say things in those ways, you ought not do that because God is a holy God. His name is reverence. Amen? Um, I, I can keep going. What about those who don't honor their mom and dad? Uh, Paul's uh, words here is those who strike their father and mother. If you've hit or hurt your parent in any way, and maybe some of you need to tell your kids this right now, you better not hit me. The word God says, don't hit me. <laughs> Paul said it right here. And, and <laughs> um, you know, and, and so those are things. There have been moments in my life, listen, where I did not honor my mother and father. Where they asked me to do something and I was willfully disobedient. Anybody in the building with me on that? Anybody ever did that? All right. Some of you are lying right now. You just broke another one of the laws right there. Whew. All right. And, and, and so, you know, so there's, there's one. What about this? Murderers. Okay. Well, TJ, I've never murdered anyone. Well, you may not have killed someone physically, but have you spewed some words out of your mouth that have killed their character? All right. Now let's see that one right there. Oh, all right. Let's see that one right there, Pastor. Um, uh, verse 10 says sexual immoral or fornicators is, is a person who is involved with sexual immorality, whatever that looks like. Pornography, um, lustful thinking. Jesus said it like this. If you've thought about it, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. So God help us all on that one, right? So those who, uh, the next one is those who practice homosexualities. And, and I will say this right here. Um, both fornicators, hetero and homosexuals, are breaking the seventh commandment. 
I don't hear that kind of teaching very much. But here's the thing. I believe that God, uh, man, we are to love everybody, but we, gotta, we, gotta, we have to preach the gospel. We have to preach the truth. We got to do it in love. Listen, I, I think you ought to love on people. I think you ought to do your best to do that. And I, here's the thing. I've been in this long enough that I've seen people's life restored who have walked in homosexuality and then been freed. The world will say, hey, that's not a possibility. But let me tell you something. Everything's a possibility in God's economy. Here's the next one. Enslavers uh, or kidnappers. I'll say this. How about uh, these people that are sex traffickers? Kidnapping young kids and lying to them and doing this. And the word of God is pretty pretty sharp towards them and what about this? Thieves who steal. I can't stand a thief. I can't. Anybody, man, I hate when, when you feel so violated when something's stolen from you. I remember I, I was playing basketball at the park one time, and I ran home, and I came back to the park, and I left my basketball there, and guess what? It was gone, and I felt so violated. I was like 10 or 11, and I was so mad because it was brand new. But thieves and, and people that steal, liars. Perjurers who willfully tell lies are breaking the eighth and the ninth commandment. So, um, and I will say this, contrary to modern psychology of the day, and we, the psychologists just try to say, oh, you're okay, you're okay. But listen, we're not okay. When we put ourselves up against these ten commandments, we're, we're not okay. Um, the schoolmaster, the law, it looks at us and says, You've got a sin problem, and, and, and here's the thing. I'm a sinner, and I am in need of a Savior. But here's the thing. Once we come into the realization that we are walking righteously through the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, we are loving and doing what is right in his eyes, but not uh, everyone wants to walk in the law. So, so as ministers, we have to lay down the law sometimes. Sometimes we got to come in and say, hey, this is what the word of God says. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's not. And even sometimes in my own life, sometimes I got to hear it from people and say, hey, pastor, you know, I have a bad attitude or whatever the case may be. And I know you guys think I'm a saint, but I'm not at all times, I promise. Um, as seen in this passage before uh, us, any culture or person involved in sin needs the law for its, its, own, uh, for its own welfare, for without sin... Uh, Without the law, sin runs unchecked. It's the thing that, it's the moral standard that we, we're trying to achieve, right? And so, but here's the good news. Everyone say, whew, let's hear some good news after all that. That's rough, right? Uh, the law shows me that I'm a sinner, but the next bit of scripture tells me that Christ came to save sinners. And here's a third subheading. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And boy, I like that. Verse 12 says this. I thank him. Thank you, Jesus. I thank him who has given me strength, uh, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a, a, a persecutor, and an uh, insolent uh, opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord 
overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How many can say Jesus bought me, brought me out of some stuff? And that's what Paul's saying right here. Paul says, hey, I was, I was very sincere about persecuting Christians. I, I didn't mind dragging them out of their home to be incarcerated. I didn't mind doing that. I was sincere, sincerely wrong, though. I, I messed up. I missed it. Paul's admission here reminds me that there is the possibility that exists for me to be in that same mindset. Sometimes I think I'm doing right, but I can be totally wrong. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All these wives are poking their husbands right now. You think you're right, but you're not. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Um, but I'm encouraged by this because there are moments where I'm, I'm sincerely going along, doing what I think is right, and God lets, lets us know, hey, you're not, you're not doing so hot, TJ. You, you think you are, but you're not. And um, we may even have to be knocked down from time to time. And Paul was knocked down and, and set straight in Acts chapter 9. You know what I say, Lord, if that's what it takes, knock me down. Do whatever you got to do. Get, help me out here. And, and I like what he, well, he says this. He says, acting ignorantly in unbelief. You know, how many have ever acted ignorantly in unbelief? You know what ignorance is? Just not understanding and knowing what you're doing. It doesn't mean that you're, you're dumb. It just means you just don't know. Um, and some of us are like Paul. We feel like we're doing right, but God's mercy and grace you know what it does? It picks us up, and it puts us uh, on a firm foundation, and that firm foundation is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, Paul says that God judged him, and he found him faithful and appointed him to serve us for the kingdom. Um, if you want to do something for the kingdom, listen to me. If you want to do something for the kingdom, number one, be faithful and let God judge you. Let God, let God look at you. Let God search your heart. And let God promote you. Um, I've been around this thing long enough. And I've watched enough young, young preachers and, and worship pastors and youth pastors who think they have to promote themselves. And I've watched them try to promote and doors don't open and doors don't open. And then I've watched the person who's faithfully serving quietly in the corner, not saying a word. I've watched God open a door overnight and set them on a path that they never expected. Listen, if God is in it, you don't have to you don't have to kick the door open, he'll open it for you. Amen. All right. Verse 15. This oh, I like this. Oh, I like you ought to underline you ought to underline this. Uh, this 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 gets me this gets me jazzed. I'm sorry. Um, I I can't tell you how much this gets me excited. Verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I, I, will, whew, I love this scripture. Uh, every time I read this, this verse, I just get like, I want to kick off running. I'm like, oh, it's crazy. Um, this saying is trustworthy. What is that? That Christ Jesus came to save sinners. You can take that to the bank. Is that what Uncle Si says? You can take that to the bank, Jack, or whatever he says. Christ came to save sinners. When Jesus was here, it was his Father's will that brought him here. It was Jesus' mission statement here on earth to come and die on a cross for you and for me 
love that. The, and here's the other side of that, the, the, the trustworthiness, but here's the deserving statement. And what is that? And I, Paul says, I am the foremost. The King James Version says, I am the chief of sinners. I am the head honcho of sinners. I am the big wig of sinners. How many can say, I am he? It's me. You know what? This is the one time that I think Paul got it wrong because I'm the biggest sinner out there. Now, Paul, he's just talking to himself. And, and honestly, when we look at this, we have to say, man, I, I, I wouldn't be here if it was not for God's grace in my life. Man, I, I've messed up and I've made some mistakes and I've done, done some terrible things more than I. I am the worst. But listen, that puts me in the right place because I know that I need a Savior. Uh, notice the closer, I, I like this, because the closer that Paul got to the Lord, the more he understood his sin condition. And so, too, it is for us. The closer we get to the Lord, the closer we get to the foot of the cross, we realize, hey, I need to get this out of my life. There's a, there's a condition here. But here's the good news is this, is that sinners are the ones that Jesus came to save. So if you own admission can look at the Ten Commandments and say, I've committed one of those sins. Jesus came so that you might be saved. Amen. Man, that's that's the simple gospel right there. That is that is as simple as it gets. So um, Jesus is is ever the good shepherd. And I love Jesus because he is such a good shepherd that he finds the one in the back row. God finds the one who, who, who is lost. God finds the one. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday, and he was telling me their story and how God delivered them and set them free um, from, from some things that they were dealing with and how just how God found, found them. And how many are so grateful that God found you? God will leave the 99 to find the one. Man, that, that just, whew, I, I love this verse. Um, and that gives me real comfort and real hope. Um, and here's the thing. I, I have to accept that. And, I, and acceptance is, is I have to accept it courageously. And I must accept this, that, that God's grace is gracious. And Jesus came to save people like me and like you. And here's the other thing. He keeps helping me stay saved every day. <laughs> I, I love that. I can walk this out. Uh, I'm going to read that verse again. It's verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Who am I to say otherwise? I love that. I, I seriously. Verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience in an example of those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul's basically saying this right here. If God can save me and turn me around, he can turn you around. See, Paul was a mess. He was persecuting Christians, killing Christians, and he went from persecuting Christians to preaching to Christians and making apostles or, or, or making leaders and preachers and pastors and spreading the gospel in an unprecedented way. And um, 
when people see that God has changed us, it's a pattern that they can look at in our life and say, if God can change you, he can change me. And they may look at you, your coworkers, and say this, and I'm not picking on Jeff, but I'm going to pick on Jeff right now. They may, people, your neighbors may look at you and say, if, if God can save a rascal like Jeff, rascally rabbit, if God can save a rascal like Jeff, he can save you. And that's your testament. That's the pattern. If, if God can save TJ, he can save Jeff. What, what a glorious thing that is that we have. And, and, um, and if they aren't Christians, they can be one. Um, you know, I begin to think about this beautiful story, the man of the Gadarenes, the, the demonic oppressed man there at the Gadarenes. That moment with Jesus, if God can save that man's life, where that guy is ready to chase Jesus. He, remember, he chased Jesus all the way to the boat and said, I want to go with you. And Jesus is like, go home and tell all your friends. Go back to Decapolis and tell everybody there what God has done. And your testimony matters that, that, that they can be changed. So um, uh, believe, believe in him or in, on him uh, is mentioned in the New Testament 185 times. It's a lot. And the sole condition given for salvation is this. Believe, have faith, or trust in Jesus Christ. And that's, I love that. Verse 17. Help me out, Kentley, if you will, on the piano. Just drop her to the key of C, bro. Just just do a C. I'm throwing one on him right now. Um, I like this. Paul, after talking about how bad he is, verse 17, I, I think it's so cool that he added this in there because I probably wouldn't have added this in there if I was a writer. He just he talks about how bad he is, and he talks about God's grace. And then all of a sudden, he says this right here. I think he just has a little praise moment right there. To the king of ages, immortal, invincible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, I'm saved, and i got to stop. I'm going to write this down. God, to the king, eternal, immortal, the invisible, the only God. God, I give you praise in this moment. I know that you saved me by your grace. How many are glad that you're saved by grace? I like that moment there. In the middle of, of talking about God's goodness and reflecting on God's grace, uh, turning him from a persecutor, a blasphemer, to a preacher and a believer, Paul begins to worship God, and he has no other recourse but to burst forth in praise. Bless you, Lord. Be all honor and glory to you forever and ever. God, I don't deserve this grace, but I'm going to praise you right now. I don't care who's watching me in prison right now. It don't even matter. So too do we when we're in a dark moment in our lives. We begin to think and reflect of what God brought us from. Even though you were a rascal, Jeff, when you reflect where God brought you from and where he has placed you and where he has taken you, you have to just go, Thank you, God, for saving. Thank you, God, for keeping me alive. Some of you would be dead if it was not for the grace of God. Some of you would be lost. Verse, the, the fourth thing here, and this is coming into the closing of this chapter, is this. And, and Paul tells them in Timothy in chapter 1 there, verse 18, he's, he just basically gives them this. Fight the good fight. Everyone say, fight the good fight. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child. 
in accordance with your prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So apparently Paul is telling Timothy, go back, remember the prophecies and things that were spoken over him and his role in the church. He's saying, hey, remember all those things. I, last, I was talking to Tristan uh, uh, the other night, and, and in my mind I was, I was going back over some times where she was there and, and people had said things over me prophetically. And I was going through and I said, you know, the Lord said this at this time in my life. And I really needed to hear that at that time in my life. And he said, and then I fast forward a few years, and, and then this person said this to me, and I needed to hear that in that moment in my life. And fast forward a little bit further, someone tells me something else. This week I had a, you know, I had a gentleman call me. I had no idea what he wanted. Zero clue what he wanted. Didn't know this guy from anybody. He started asking me questions, and I was like automatically like, what's going on with this guy, you know? And after talking to him for just a few moments, he said, he said, you, you don't really know me. He said, Pastor, can I, can I pray for you? I said, yeah, absolutely. And he said, can I, can I go a step further? Can I, can I prophesy over you? And I was like, hit me. Let's go. And I was driving. I had to pull over. And I pulled over where I was at, and he began to just speak and edify and exhort and tell me things that I had forgotten, but he was bringing back to my remembrance in that moment, and here I am, I pulled over at a graveyard, here I am crying in my truck, and I'm sure people were like, oh, that poor guy, he's lost someone, no, I'm, I'm just, this guy's just pouring in me, I don't even know this guy very well, and Paul's saying this, hey, Timothy, remember what, what, what was prophesied over you. Don't be discouraged. Don't quit. Don't stop. You've heard these words. Now hold on to them. They're vital in fighting the good fight because when the enemy comes in, you need to be reminded that God said he was going to take you. He was going to bring you through. He was going to help you. Verse 19, holding faith and good conscience. Some say the key to good, a good conscience is a bad memory. I don't know if that's true. But in reality, the key to a good conscience is understanding and embracing that Christ, what Christ did on the cross. You want to be conscious free? Lay it on him. Lay it down at the cross. Look at this verse. The next part says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Talk about those people that are veering. Have you ever seen people, they, they just kind of go down a bad path and you're like, man, they were really on fire for the Lord and now... They're a mess. What in the world happened? And I, he kind of reiterates this thing, the loss of the truth of God's word, the law of God, the love of Christ, and the life of the faith. Whereas he's telling a, a young Pastor Timothy, I, Pastor Timothy, I like, I'm not going to why I like saying that. He's schooled by Paul in the beginning of this letter, and I believe even earlier when they first met, but people who reject these, these things, the truth of God's word, the law of God, the love of Christ, the life of faith, Paul describes it like this, their life is a shipwreck. It's a mess. Have you ever been around someone? I, oh, my life's always a mess. It seems like it's always a wreck. Well, you maybe take some inventory on some things there that, that you may not be following 
What a great reminder from Paul to, to young Timothy and us today. Verse 20, this is a very pointed verse. <laughs> Among who are uh, Hymenius, if you need a good name for your dog, Hymenius, and Alexander, who I am, have been handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. We'll end on that. Let's pray. No, I'm just, I just broke that down. <laughs> That's pretty a pretty strong word, isn't it? He's talking about people that have shipwrecked, and then he, he goes a little, little step further, and he gives two examples. Now, um, he's given reference here, and we don't know these guys. There's really nothing that we know about them in Scripture, Hymenius and Alexander. And, but Paul, he makes a very strong statement, and the Lord, he just prays this, that the Lord would move, remove his protection or his, his protection or hedge from around them, thereby exposing the enemy and, and within them. And his hope was that they would be burned out of their evil ways. Boy, that's that seems very punitive and, or, you know, um, something very like it's punishment. But Paul's purpose is not punitive or to create punishment, but instead it was restorative. Only God can restore that. So I'm going to pray that God would just reveal those things to them. You know, sometimes people got to hit rock bottom before they realize that they need help, right? What do they tell you in the most drug addicts and stuff is, you know, don't enable them. Let them hit rock bottom. And then when they realize there's no way to go, they, they don't have any other choice. And so I, I think Paul here is a little bit of tough love. He's just saying this. He's not saying that there isn't hope for them. He's just saying, hey, I just pray that God's hedge of protection would be, come off of them and that the things that they're doing, they would stop doing and get, be brought to life. And you have to remember the heading of this section was this, was to fight the good fight. And he's trying to get them back into the fight. So um, um, I want to do this. I, I know this is, this was super encouraging to me. I don't know if it was for you, but it was super encouraging for me tonight. Um, I want to do this. Can can you, can you do I Surrender All in that key? You guys know that song? Some of you know that, but will you stand with me? That's an, that's an, that's an older song, but a beautiful song. Will you just close your eyes for just a moment? Can you just begin to thank God for his grace and mercy tonight? God, I think you're stirring us, Lord, the body of Christ. God, I pray tonight, Lord, that we would just surrender to you and what you have for us. God, I'm just a vessel tonight. God, I am nothing without you. So, Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that we would just surrender our hearts to you.